Welcome to Back to Ours, a new podcast for Barking and Dagenham, brought to you by Studio 3 Arts and part of a campaign developed by the Cultural Partnership and Council Safeguarding teams. Look out for campaign materials using hashtag BDProtect. So we've started this podcast as a way to keep the community together safe and healthy through lockdown, distancing and beyond. In each episode, we'll be interviewing some of the amazing people who live and work in our borough about the stuff they've been doing in lockdown. We'll also be talking about the ways you can support your family and neighbourhood so our community is the best it can be. So, grab a cuppa, settle in and let's crack on. It's all back to ours. Good morning. Um, it's actually after 12, but I'll let you have that. Oh my God, who woke the pedant up this morning? I've been really like that lately. I've been terrible. A few of my friends have said I've been really like on any little thing, which is a, a terrible habit. God, you've only just come to be rested and calm and reflective. I am rested and calm and reflective, but I think I'm rested that I've got time to notice little things like that. <laughs> I can't bear to let it go and not, like, you know what I'm like? For, uh, oh, well, well, good afternoon, love. <laughs> good afternoon, Liza. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Do you know, well, no, I am all right, but I'm also a little bit on tenterhooks today. It's my little boy's first day in secondary school. So I'm just watching the clock for the minute he finishes so I, I can be there when he comes through the door. Oh, bless. What, um, how was he feeling? He was feeling fine. Um, not going to lie. I did buy a blazer and trousers that's going to fit him until he leaves secondary school. So he was a little bit kind of baggy. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, he, he was feeling fine. He went off this morning, um, you know, skipping down the road. So yeah, but it's a big, it's a big moment, isn't it? It's a proper like, you know, milestone moment in a kid's life. Of course it is. It's such a, and it's a big change. And especially at the moment, what a weird time for, you know, those children, whether it's their first day of primary or if they're moving up to secondary, it's a really strange time to be doing that. Well, exactly. Because in previous years, you know, you would have visited the school before, your first day you would have you know been shown around obviously he went to the open day but they usually do some of those transition days don't they and obviously they haven't been able to do any of that so um today's his first kind of foray into the school proper oh exciting how nervous how was he how's he yeah oh he's totally fine he's totally fine um he obviously there was a last minute dash to finish the homework that they were sent in like may or something but that's just him all over um, so, you know, at, at six o'clock this morning, we were we were making a, a collage of a coral reef. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> exactly. But um, yeah, I'm hoping that my, my requirements for craft projects will start to lessen now that he's in the secondary school. But I think that might be a, a vain hope. Yeah, I mean, you can keep your fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> what you could do is be a bit more like, OK, I feel like maybe you can lean on yourself a bit more for this one now. But, you know, I'm sure you're still <laughs> going to get those night before. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 I mean, you know, I'm taking a lot of it on myself because I need to check their bags occasionally because these letters that the schools send home, they never make it to my hand. I always have to go, like, foraging in the bottom of a bag to find the letter. <laughs> so, you know, I need to take that one on a bit. But, yeah, no, he, he's fine. Um, and I think he was just excited to get out the house. Bless him yeah that's great well that's really good um yeah uh, anyway think... go on how are you go on how are you let's let we could talk about that child for ages but how are you 
I'm doing all right, yeah. I'm just sort of um bit of a slow week, but in a good way, I think. Just you know, like uh as you know, I've sort of been taking some time out from drinking. Um, yeah. which is a thing that I'm just trying for a bit. And the other day I got to fifty days, which felt like quite a a solid number and I was really pleased with that. Yeah, it's uh, impressive, Miss. Yeah, and I think it's just giving me a bit of headspace to sort of I don't know, I'm feeling quite reflective, Liza. That's where I'm at. I'm quite reflective. That's a good place to be, I think. Yeah, just me. I'm like a mirror at the moment. I'm just a walking reflection. Oh, I'll cut you away. Eh? <laughs> oh yeah, I feel like I need to do a camping update. Yeah, go on, how was it? It was lush, can't lie. It was lush. Um, the only one issue that we had was the blow-up mattress. Mm. Must have had a slow puncture. So I went to bed on a comfy mattress. I woke up on the floor. Oh, lovely. Yeah, which was like, as you know, I've got a spine condition. So me and sleeping on odd surfaces like that, we, we're not friends. So I was a bit like creaky. But um, like for the most part, it was fine. And then somebody, when I was there, I started like camping chat with my neighbours. You know how it is. And, um, oh yeah. <laughs> there was there was one lady telling me you can buy like beds for camping that I've just got legs on, so you're not actually sleeping on the floor. I'm such a novice camper, I knew nothing about this. But now having done some research, you can also get bunk ones. You can get bunk ones. Wow. I yes. mean, I knew like I knew like them like travel beds existed. I don't think I've ever slept on one though. Um, but bunk. I mean, the world we live in. Do you know what I mean? Technology these days. I wouldn't want to be on the bottom bunk personally, but um, just in case. Well, yeah, this is. I don't think I trust myself on the top bunk either. So maybe I'm going to avoid the bunk bed one. <laughs> Do you know, right? Funny story, or maybe not a funny story. I once went on an expedition to Argentina, like when I was 17, I got chosen out of my school to go on this big expedition. And the bunk beds where we stayed in Patagonia, they, was, they were three tiers. Wow. The world. I'm telling you now, bunk beds with Matty and Liza. That's the spin-off <laughs> podcast. I can't wait to get that one started. I feel like that's really got legs. I think it's going to be really good. Um, it's got legs. You made a joke. It's got oh legs. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even realise. That's how good I am. That is how funny I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Let's talk about something more important than beds, eh? Okay. Yeah, why not? Um, Who did you chat to this week? I, this week, chatted to the lovely Nagat, um, who leads one of um, the food banks in Barking. Um, and I will say, it was an amazing conversation, but it is quite upsetting in places, but in a way that I think is important for us to hear. Yes, totally. Um, so, yeah, I think let's have a listen, and then we can have a bit of a chat after. Um yeah. Yeah, and I will be uh, listening out for the, the end of the interview. I'll be giving all the details of how you can get involved, whether it's to help or if you need to access the services that they're providing. Marvellous. Let's do it. And I'm the operations director at Hamdan UKCIC. We are a halal and vegetarian food bank based uh, at Ripple Centre in Barking. Uh, we serve fresh food parcels to our beneficiaries every Saturday and just piloted uh, a Thursday as well, where we provide cooked meals as well as uh, food uh, like fresh food 
Uh, and um, um, can I say that again? Yeah, of course you can. Do you want me to ask you again or do you just want to start your answer again? I'll just start my answer again. Okay, okay great. All right, start the answer again. Um, I'm Niget Bola um, from Hamdam UK CIC. We're based in Barking, Ripple Centre uh, at Ripple Road. Um, we are a halal and vegetarian food bank. Uh, that serve fresh food parcels and cooked meals uh, to um, the homeless and less fortunate families, including uh, children or underaged, um, you know, those who can't afford or are unemployed and on benefits. Um, at the moment, we have uh, we serve every Saturday and we've just piloted a Thursday um, to provide the fresh food parcels that we do. It includes the non-perishables and, uh, you know, fresh food, veg, uh, fruit and veg. That is uh, at least, uh, you know, they can have that for three days. So we've supplied three to four days food. Um, and uh, we have at the moment today, we have up to uh, 80 to 100 service users that come in on a Saturday and about 20 that come in on a Thursday. We also provide a, a home delivery service to those who cannot come out to us or have issues where there's isolation at the moment because of COVID um, or are elderly. So we would, um, you know, obviously vet them and see what they require and what we can provide to them uh, on a weekly basis or on a fortnightly basis. We also provide raw uh, meat whenever we can because we are, you know, as I said, a halal and vegetarian food bank. So whatever we can do, we will provide. I'm going to guess that this has been quite a busy time for you. It indeed has, uh, you know, since uh, let's just start, you know, since the start of the year where uh, typically our service users were about 30, 35 every Saturday. And then suddenly because of the lockdown, we had, uh, you know, we increased by 300%, which was like, you know, on one um, uh, occasion we had, about 130 people walk in on a Saturday, I guess, because we were the only food bank that was open during uh, the lockdown. So, yes, it has been busy. And although like today would say, you know, we've got 80 to 90 users coming in today, but, uh, you know, there is a need. And sometimes we are told that, you know, they've got enough to last them a week and then they come in uh, the following week. So, it's you know, for some people, it's fortnightly. Yeah, so I guess people would, you know, it depends on the need and stuff, which I totally understand. Yes. Correct. I can imagine um, that it must have been, you know, when you started to hear that lockdown was coming, what were your sort of first thoughts, I guess, for the service that you provide? It was really strange because, you know, <clears throat> I had been, <clears throat> excuse me, travelling. And when I got back, it the, the COVID had just about, it was pretty fresh and we didn't know what was happening at the time and then we were told you know we've got to take precautions and the we're purely a voluntary based organization at the minute we only registered in december as a community interest company simply because we wanted to provide good healthy food to you know those in need and and obviously our social aim <clears throat> excuse me was um you know being a food bank as well so we started this um before covid we've been operational like embarking at least since 2018 and prior to that, two years prior to that, we were serving in Good Maze Redbridge and then moved into uh, Barking. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but what happened, uh, you know, before the lockdown, well, we needed to take all the precautions because we were not sure what the guidelines were. And so we 
started, uh, we, we were a sit-down service originally. So what a sit-down service was that it was a community lunch and they would all come and we, they'd sit down, they'd have hot food. So we would prepare the hot meals for them and then take the food parcels. But that very quickly was changing and we needed to adapt to new situations because obviously if, if it meant that we were going to stop the sit-down service because as you know uh, the infections were rising, uh, we needed to really find a way what was going to happen next. But our biggest challenge was at the time when lockdown did happen and I had to think, what are we going to do for, you know, my biggest worry was that, okay, we can sit at home and we can eat, but what about those who are going to be homeless or cannot afford during lockdown? And we really needed to think. So the first week of the lockdown, we only had two volunteers. That was myself and one other person who decided that he was going to help me and we needed to borrow other volunteers from other organizations so that was the biggest challenge for us not only that it was also getting the provisions that we needed for you know our uh, unique kind of service that we had and we couldn't provide sit-down meals anymore so what would we do and it was all the logistics that was the biggest concern you know how are we going to get our donations in where are we going to get our supplies from and well, I just took the initiative really to put my, you know, whatever was going on in my household aside because I've got an elderly mother and I needed to really look after her health, health as well. And it was just, you know, it just kind of flowed. Um, I think it was a leap of faith for me personally. Um, whereas I thought, you know, if it's going to work, that meant that it was supposed to happen. And if there was any more challenges further, we would find other ways. So we got the team together. And we thought, you know, how are we going to get this whole process or, you know, the food bank running like it was before? And um, and we did, you know, we, we called our donors and our sponsors and we said, you know, these this is the kind of help we need. Uh, that would have been also my contacts, whether they were in cash and carries or, you know, farms. And, 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 and that's how we got our provisions. Very challenging at the time. And, uh, you know, it just kind of slowly worked. So we had... Uh, five volunteers that were doing the service and it would take us a long time because we had to adapt to the two meters distance we had to keep our service users as well you know explain to them even though they think that you know um, they thought at the time and they still do that you know they're not infected so why are we treating them the way we are i.e you know do the uh, the distancing uh, we are obviously in our PPE and the PPE was the biggest Again, one of the things that we couldn't get hold of at the time. So, you know, we couldn't, we have the gloves, but we couldn't have the masks because there was shortage of masks. And so we had to kind of, um, you know, really improvise on and do whatever it was for our safety first. Our safety was so important because if we were not safe and we did get infected, we were in isolation, we could never run the service. And it worked out really well for us. You know, initially we had on the first day, it was a long queue and we didn't know what we were going to do. So we just, instead of doing pre-parcels, we invited them to come into the hall and, and pick up whatever they needed for that day. And same with the food, because we provide cooked food and they could take at least, you know, uh, three meals a day uh, for at least three or four days, especially for the homeless people. Yeah, I can imagine that because you know, what happened was so, you know, it was such a weird experience for everybody, but I can't imagine the added pressure, not only of kind of the fear of, you know, this is a pandemic, we're going into lockdown, but to also have the extra worry of, I don't have enough. Mm. 
on top of that must have been so stressful for the people that you know were relying on your service you know i think uh, matt it, it, is it's just how you have your relationships with the i mean this is what brought us together because it was the relationship building that we had externally for those who were you know required food so there were two there was a two-pronged situation here where we needed the supplies we couldn't go out and get the supplies because you know we whereas normally if we bought out of tesco's or asda or any of the supermarket now they could only provide us with you know x amount they couldn't give us you know where we get you know 14 pints of milk as an example we could only pick up one and even the managers at the stores were really like you know for for them it was not possible so what i did at the time was get in touch with all the local businesses in barking and dagnum and say how could they help us because you know we had a little bit of funding but you know how long will that funding last we had the storage but you know would the storage be uh, enough for us firstly we we do suffer with storage anyway but you know it was all those things that were coming together and um, how are we going to keep the supply going every week? But it really worked out for us because we needed the X amount of supplies. You know, on the first week, we had 50 or 60 people. And then the 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 amount of beneficiaries that got to know that we were the only ones open in the area, perhaps, you know, at the time, that they they were all walking in. And, you know, on the first two weeks, we had run out of food because there was nothing to give. So... Whereas we were getting like, you know, about 30 pints of milk, for example, we now had to source and get 60 or 70 pints to give enough and equally to everybody. So, as I said, you know, it was it was for us, the challenges were the logistics, getting the transport, like because we didn't have a, a, any kind of uh, you know vans or anything like that. We didn't have the volunteers, first of all, there were only two volunteers out of Hamnam working at the time. So. Even though like our volunteers worked from home and gave us the support from home, but it was whoever was at the front line. Um, and, and that was the difficulty, you know, in, in adapting the whole situation in just within a week. Um, but as time grew and then also, you know, we, we were kind of, I'd say it's a blessing because we, we thought, how are we going to feed or how are we going to provide whatever we've got to those who are living in the parks, to those who are not rehoused, to those who hadn't received their benefits and couldn't go out because they didn't have the means to go out. So how were we going to serve them? And it was slowly coming together, but it was just, you know, um, uh, overwhelming at the time because we were just finding ways of how we can get the whole operation to what it used to be, which wasn't going to happen, to what we wanted it to be, which was having enough supplies. So as I said, you know, it's, it's all about relationship building and it, it's also about community, how the community comes together. And that's how our donations started flooding in, because those who, who thought that at home they had any surplus would provide their surplus to us, which was really a blessing for those who really needed food. And this is especially for, you know, the elderly. And again, it was where they can't come out because, you know, during lockdown, you can't travel. So there was all of that where we've got a lot of senior citizens who either can't cook or don't have the facility to cook. But they obviously need food. So we had to find ways of really accommodating all their needs, which I think we did in a way. Well, I mean, just listening to you speak, I'm like, you know, just even trying to think about how many different um, things that you've got to try and plan and think about in such an unknown time, Mm. you know, and like just trying to constantly like, okay, well, that won't work. So we'll try this or we need to try this and kind of, um 
yeah i mean i just think it's it sounds like it was a real challenge but it also i was really interested in what you just said actually because one thing i think comes up in a lot in conversation when you're talking to people about what's happened and what you know what we're going through is this feeling that to some extent it has been a reminder and maybe a reminder that a lot of us needed about how much we need each other yes absolutely i'll give you examples because you know for it was also emotional you know when you see people when you ask like there was uh, uh, you know two brothers and a sister and i just asked like you know are you local because obviously we don't uh, involve ourselves in the uh, housing or benefits or anything like that but you know just to see the how much we could give them for the day or two days whatever it was and they said no we're living in the cemetery because you know the borders were closed there were europeans they had to go back or there was somebody who was a local resident but had been thrown out of his house by his his landlord yeah and couldn't so these were all the you know emotional uh, you know to to deal with the emotions as well because you know you do break down because we are we say we're thankful that we have a home you know we have a roof over our head but what about the others who didn't and this was the biggest thing whereas everyone was you know telling me that because of my own personal health issues or as I said you know I've got an elderly mom that it's not safe for you to go out because you know if we don't know what COVID is about we don't know what the pandemic is going to bring and I had to sanitize myself before I left home and then when I came home, including my car, you know, including everything, it was just something that we had to really adapt to very quickly because we didn't know what was going to happen the next minute. And my biggest worry was that if I fell ill or, you know, the person who was with me, the other volunteer, what would happen to the food bank? You know, all the time it was about like, what happens to those who are really in need? And and that's what the challenge, uh, you know, that's what the feeling was at the time. Yes, of course, you know, as I said, the challenge was that we get the food. But then the other thing was, how are we going to cook it? Where are we going to cook it? Because there were no kitchens open at the time. There were no restaurants open at the time. So we decided we cook from home. And then we had a team of ladies who cook from home. Then I had to go and pick up the food, drop it to the center. And, you know, that's how it kind of worked for us. But as I said, you know, we, we ended up cooking 300 meals per Saturday. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's, I find it so interesting with stuff like this because obviously my first um, thought is, thank goodness that mm. people were willing and did that. And also I can't, you know, you mentioned about how emotional it is. I mean, just listening, like I'm not, you know, embarrassed to say that like, I feel really emotional just listening to you talk about this because, mm. you know, I think sometimes the fact that, we allow people to live in such precarious and, you know, unsafe situations is really upsetting anyway. But like you said, with this added pressure, I'm really intrigued that did you sort of, did you have anything in place on how you were able to look after yourself or was it more just like a fight or flight? I've just got to get through with this. I think it was a fight off really, because, you know, um, I felt it was just, for me, it was just renewed strength. Yeah, because if I felt that if I didn't do it, if I hit, it was leap of faith, as I said, you know, just believing in, you know, my maker and saying, if I can, if I have the strength, I'll do it. And believe you me, you know, this this pandemic has really taught us something that we can live without. What can we live without and what is necessary for us? How can we budget? You know, for we go out and we do shopping whichever way we want to, you know, we buy luxury items and then 
all these things, like even if it's our food, even if whatever's in the fridge, our provisions, and we never think, we just think, oh, yes, you know, we're going to do, we're going to cook this tonight. But we never think what happens when the prices rise and we can't afford it. And mm. this is what was happening to the families because the prices had spiked. Other than, you know, the pandemic, but the prices in this, not only just the supermarkets, the small shops that were open. Yeah. So, for example, um, just, you know, uh, chicken, just normal boneless chicken was going for about eight, nine pounds uh, per kilo. Yeah. It was mm -hmm. really ridiculous. Now, for a family who's got a family of five children, and these are like these are real stories that I'm going to tell you because, you know, these are families that we support who are on universal credit. But it's not enough for you know, this particular lady with five children is not enough for what she has in her pocket at the end of every month to feed her family. So so we had to find ways. And, you know, my the best thing that we could do was just go out and talk to people or businesses, you know, the wholesalers and see what how we could get that, uh, you know, that supply in to help those who needed it. And and it was taking a it was time consuming because I was out from probably about 10 o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night to do whatever needed to be done every single day because we had then we thought you know in may we had ramadan so we took that opportunity because ripple center has been so good to us that they gave us that opportunity to open every day for the 30 days and we took that opportunity not because it was religious based but because we have it we had an opportunity to serve for 30 days and we couldn't mm -hmm. let that opportunity go so what we then had was you know where we were doing every saturday we were now Doing, um, providing cooked meals every day and so imagine that we're on the first uh, you know on the first week or the first day of ramadan we gave out small ration packs and to get those ration packs from local cash and carries whatever provisions we could get so that we could see that they could at least you know it would suffice them for a week or something <clears throat> But then the other side of it was those who are homeless. What are we going to do about the homeless? Because they've got no means of cooking. Um, you mm. know, there's this young guy who's in a bed seat. He doesn't have access to a microwave or a cooker or anything. You know, he, he, he boils his eggs in a kettle. And, and that's something that you and I probably have never thought. Only when we, if we'd gone camping or something like that. But hang on. He was boiling his, uh, you know, uh, eggs in the kettle. He was cooking uh, chicken, for example, in his kettle and I and I wondered like you know we would never even think of that because I'd never thought of that because of you know the way we live every day anyway everything is at hand right yeah so these were the things that really opened it was an eye-opener that you know people to survive because the most important thing for us is that food is so important food gives you the energy it gives you the you know the the capability of thinking right because if and we saw those you know who were probably because they couldn't get food, they were intoxicated for whichever reason. That's where they were spending their money, uh, you know, uh, because that's what happens. And really, our change in Barking and Dagenham is, you know, we want to bring a change in the people in Barking and Dagenham. Especially that's what our whole belief is that, you know, through eating healthy, through providing good food, we would be changing the mindsets, at least of the young ones on how to eat healthily. And these, this is what we've been doing prior to lockdown as well, providing different kinds of cooked meals. I, what I mean by that is different cuisines. Like, you know, we provide, for example, Indian one day, you know, so the, the, uh, one week is Indian, the following week is Mexican, then it's Oriental. So we provide different tastes, you know, different cuisines to them so that they can understand that other than chicken and chips from the corner shop, there is a lot, lot more to the food that we, we provide. And today... 
we are actually known for the type of food that we provide in Barking and Dagenham. So we've got, you know, and then also, Matt, Matty, it was that people were coming from outside of the borough because, because we are halal and vegetarian food bank, people uh, like from outside of the borough couldn't get that supply. So we had to accommodate them as well, even though we couldn't say no. Like if anyone walks mm. into, your, uh, into the door, uh, through the door and says, oh, we are from Redbridge, we can't say, oh, don't come because all, what we can say is you should have been very safe getting on that bus. Mm, of course. But you couldn't say no. And and these are the things, like, you know, on the last day of Ramadan, we were serving on just the one day, so per serving. And that could be, you know, anything, whether it was a naan kebab or, you know, it was um, a noodle, whatever pack, and we were serving 300, 350, you know, per day. So that's what the requirement was. That's only during lockdown because the lockdown was a long period. It wasn't just temporary. Like, you know, it wasn't for one or two weeks. It did go on for a long time. Yeah, it did. And I think as well, that's the thing is that I think, you know, what you mentioned as well about at the best of, and what I say is, you know, even outside of lockdown, hmm. you know, what people are left to live with on this universal credit system is literally the bare minimum. And it's like, you can't <clears throat> get, you can't provide for yourself adequately on that and yeah. so then to add in you know this kind of you know this type of situation which is so it was such a weird situation for everyone but like I said I, yeah I mean like using a kettle to cook you wouldn't I would never think of that because I guess I'm fortunate enough that I've never had to think of that very true you know these are the little things that we which what we take for granted like I'll tell you what we do we we provide um you know uh, hygiene packs for the ladies yeah so this was so important because you must have you know read in the local uh, um, Redbridge uh, sorry Barking and Dagnum post that what was happening at Barking uh, Park right where there were sanitary towels all over the place now you know that was a bigger that was something that we had to look into because the women who were homeless all the public toilets were closed there was nothing open for them so what would they do what, what were they going to do and and again, so we, because we provide, uh, you know, hygiene packs, we provide them every month. So the ladies would come to us, but they needed somewhere to at least go and have that change because it's it's also, you know, you know your sanity because, you, you yeah. know, it's your self-respect. What are you going to do? So these were the things that, you know, we had to look into or, you know, we, because we don't provide uh, like, uh, you know, counseling or anything like that. But what we had to do was provide some place for them. Yeah, which was obviously the center when it was open. But again, uh, you know, it was happening, uh, you know, where there were um, ladies changing all over out in the open, in the public, in Barking Park, because there was no place for them to go. So even the young, you know, the guys were, who were living either in cars or, you know, and, and it still does happen because, as you said, you know, universal credit. I'm sure, you know, when, when the government talks about universal credit, there are ways of surviving on it, but it's on bare minimum basics. It's not the additional. It's just the basics that you can survive on. Also, they talk about, you know, this one, not only is it bare minimum, it's also, you know, if you've already got all of the equipment you need to cook, if you can afford gas and electric, if you've got an oven and a microwave, and if you haven't got that to start with, well, then you're already on the back foot, aren't you? Of course you are. Because what happened during lockdown, if their benefits were stopped for whatever reason that they couldn't get to, the, you know, where, what, whichever system they used, that's an individual. Now, there was a young lady who was 
who was there at the food bank once and you know I have a tendency to kind of ask politely you know how can we help them or just get to talk to them you know there's got to be a dialogue because we need to understand what is it that they are after there're not too many intruding questions we have our own vetting system hamdam has a, a id card so the id card lets you have food for 6 months yeah without any questions because we've already pre-vetted you um mm-hmm. simply because also to eliminate uh, you know personal shoppers right those who don't need it so we have these you know the data that we have is how many women we have in the uh, you know uh, that seek food what age group they are how many children they are who's requiring vegetarian who's requiring halal and and all of that but what we saw was that you know when when a person walks through to comes to your food bank and says i've got no electrics and i've got no gas because i didn't get my benefit what are you supposed to do because we can't provide that but what we mm. can do is we can provide them with the cooked food that we have yeah and then yeah. also the facility went like this that so you know for the 30 days as i mentioned that we were there we said look we we'll leave some food in the fridge as well so they would have there is access to food so you're not you're not left there in the lurch saying oh i'm not going to get any food so that you go have to go out and probably pickpocket and do something so that's what we're trying to eliminate you're trying to yeah you're trying to stop it getting to that point and you know what i you i mean so much of what you're saying i'm literally you can't see me obviously but i'm nodding so much because i just feel like we're completely on the same wavelength and i think there's something that you said about um when we were talking about providing um you know like period poverty and stuff yeah. like that is it's not just about doing the bare minimum for people it's about remembering that people need to be allowed to have dignity and self respect yes it's so important and that's not only for the women of course you know because women go through it every month so what we provide every month we provide hygiene packs for them to uh, for our period poverty project they know that they can come to the center every month they can pick that up but then again there's the men as well because they need to be clean and shaven and you know just just feel clean right so we mm-hmm. we and also because you know we want to be environmentally friendly we don't want to you know we don't we have kind of eliminated a lot of uh, plastic yeah in our food bank because it's also the carbon footprint you have to think about all these things because in line of what you know in line of our policies of how we were supposed to run just because it was a lockdown we didn't want to forget what we needed to do also you know for the carbon footprint right so what we did was you know we we instead of um like you know uh, there was no uh, water available for them if they're living in parks or you know there's a guy who's living in a shed somebody's shed right there was a young family who didn't their landlord because they couldn't afford the rent switched off their electrics and gas and he had three children one was autistic now how do we how do we support them because and uh, i would deliver to their house as well because they couldn't come out right mm-hmm. so then we looked at alternatives of how can we provide like you know we did washlets like for example you know these um uh, what do you call them you know the wipes yeah so mm-hmm. we we said okay that because if you don't have warm water or you can't in a, in a house right if you don't have any electricity what are you going to do to clean yourself because hygiene is important as well remember it was covid so you needed to keep your hands washed you you can't have you know if if there's no water whatever the supplies your landlord has stopped you from all these supplies what are you going to do so we're looking at all the alternatives which i said you know was a real big eye opener for us but we learned through it so you know if we if now when when we think oh if there's going to be a second wave what are we going to do i think we are, we are quite prepared and so are those people you know who are our beneficiaries they are probably also prepared because they probably know what is 
it's, it's not going to be a shock to their system like it was before. Yeah. Um, I guess there's, I feel it like, I don't know, my brain is so busy with everything you're saying. I guess there's, like, I'm just in awe of like you managing to do what you've managed to do for people under like all that sort of pressure. But also, I don't know, it's still, it, is, it does ignite a bit of a, an anger in me, I guess, that so many people are in that position that services like that not only need to exist, but obviously we've seen the huge rise in like food bank type services over the last few years. True. I mean, you know, what happened, the good things that came out of this is first that, you know, it was a learning curve for us because we learned something new that we, what we can survive on, the basics that we can survive on, right? So even if we are rationing, you know, like for example, if you're getting 20 kilos of rice, yeah, raw rice, uh, we were, you know, we were handing them out, we were giving them equal uh, amounts so that they could have at least a week or, you know, of that. And so we would do that every week, whether it was, I mean, obviously some some other food banks or services, there were so many services that came up during COVID, uh, the lockdown, that they wanted to help, uh, you know, the general, the community. But we thought, what's the best way of rationing this? Because we have to keep it going for every week say if we didn't get that supply for the following week what are we going to do because they'll still need their tea bags they'll still need their milk and what are we going to do so we we found a way of keeping that supply moving and also our stock moving so you know as i said to you earlier that we have an issue of you know where do we stock our um where do we store all our uh, you know stock and we don't have mm. that facility so we had to find a way that we can rotate it every week and it it for us it was like you know it was important that we kept that going every week. They know that they can come to us. They can get, you know, whatever they need, whether it's their fruit, whether it's their veg, something that they can eat raw. So, you know, this guy who was out of work has nowhere to cook, but can eat like, you know, ha can have the salads, can have the food that is cooked. So there is mm -hmm. a way of how we worked our system within the food bank um, where we know that, you know, this is what you'll need. And the other thing, that came out of this was what I also run is a, a, a Barking and Dagenham food network. So, for example, on one, just as it was easing, we started getting more donations from Tesco's. And one of our other suppliers, he gave me a thousand loaves of bread and I didn't know what to do with a thousand loaves of bread. So I then contacted all the local food banks within, uh, you know, Barking and Dagenham and, and um, you know, shared that surplus. So today... As food banks and anyone who's providing food, you know, to the uh, the needy, those in need, they we share the surplus, so nothing goes to waste. You know, it's still shared amongst us, and they can also provide it to their. You know, if if uh, say if it's on the other side of Dagnum, at least we know that that food has gone to Dagnum. Yeah? yeah, and you know, Barking and Dagnum is huge. So there was one end that you know there was a, a gentleman who was walking to. And nearly two hours yeah, from the other side of Marksgate coming to Ripple Centre simply because he didn't have mode, uh, any means to pay uh, the transport or he couldn't get on the bus. Now, for yeah. him, food was so important because he was a diabetic. Yeah, he had his issues, but there was no one else in the family. He's, lo he's lonely. He's got nobody else who could come all that way to pick up food for him. So then the other thing was that we could probably just provide a temporary uh, food uh, like home delivery service to those, you know, those in need. So mm. it was it was a bit of everything, Matty, you know, where you had to, you know, provide, uh, be there at the center with the limited volunteers that we have and then also go and deliver. So, you know, I was doing a little bit of everything. But I have to say, you know, it was so rewarding because 
at the end of the day, you see that little smile on their face, and you know that you've done something right. Yeah, and and that's what's important to us, you know. To to it's it's not just the thank yous or anything. It's just to see that little contentment in them that they that you know somebody has thought of them. I imagine it must. It also, I guess, as much as anything, it's probably relief that you know. Thank goodness this is here. Yes, yes, it is for them. It is a relief because they know. Um, you know, there was once a, a day where um, there was a long old queue outside, and we didn't realize that you know we'd have this queue because. To serve a person who was uh, at, say, number 30, it would take two hours because, you know, each person, whereas before people could just walk in and pick up their parcels and go. And now it was like two, two meters distance and we could only have three people tops in the food hall. Right. So it was taking longer for us to serve them. But people were still waiting. And the queue was so long that somebody said to me they thought it was the queue for Lidl. They didn't realize there was a queue for a food bank because there were about 70 people waiting outside. Wow. And and people even till even today they come we start our service at one o'clock the queues start at twelve eleven thirty twelve o'clock because it's all first come first serve basis, but because I think they know that they're going to get what they need yeah and and mm. you know if they came in later okay some some people have to stay in the queue but you know there was mixture of students who had obviously you know um, had no means to go out and work or find food or didn't have. Uh, any means of benefits so there were those kind of people um, there were those who were homeless and Europeans who couldn't you know, because the borders were closed they couldn't go anywhere um, and you know there were obviously those who are residents so there was a, a big old mixture of, of people that were coming to the food bank and we had to accommodate each and every one of them and I just well, yeah and um, I guess it's I, uh, with where COVID has taken us now I guess there is a concern with what it looks like as, you know, there's such uncertainty around so many people's employment and stuff like that. Correct. So, you know, even though like today where um, we talk about, you know, that this is post lockdown. So even now we have those, you know, youngsters who come in and they are still, you know, they're not employed or they've just, you know, don't have their jobs. Even if they were furloughed, we were still, you know, looking after those who were furloughed. But now we are in a situation where the situation is not going, the financial situation of an individual is not going to get any better. And, yeah. and we feel that it's going to, you know, we, we, when we look at the stats and, we, you know, whatever's going on out there, it's going to take a couple of years anyway. We don't think we can get to, back to any normality anytime sooner. Even though it's eased and, you know, people might go back to work, but, you know, those who have gone back to work have either been laid off completely because, you know, the, the companies have probably closed, whatever has mm-hmm. happened. So we see that for them it's an, a challenge of survival anyway because, you know, they might have a backlog of their bills and everything to pay. So how are they going to do it? We have no idea. But what we're going to do is provide them with whatever we can to keep them going. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I don't know if you've heard this. You know, when people talk about it costs a lot of money to be poor because the problem is mm. once you've been in that situation and then say that, you know, you do earn a small amount and that stops. So then if you're then borrowing money or you owe, you not only got to pay the electric bill that's coming, but you also now owe for the last two months or Absolutely. three months it's constantly, you know, and, you know, we all know like the problems around if you're desperate, you know, the sort of loans you can get and the charges they put on you is insane. Absolutely. Because, you know, either there are so many cases, as I said, you know, we've got 
um, you know, these these people, they, they because they talk to us, so we know their situation, but we can't do anything for them to help them. But the only thing that we decided that we'd partner with, you know, other organizations, as in like colleges, local college, and is, is to empower them. How can we help them to empower them to get back there? First of all, is their confidence, because your confidence levels have dropped so much, right, that you don't mm. feel that you're worthy of even going back to work because if you're on the street there is not you know you've just lost all your freedom even though you feel that oh you are independent because you're on the street no you haven't you've lost all that little you know um, anything that you had your belongings have gone so just as an example a lady who was thrown out because you know domestic violence now what happens to her she's not going into a refuge she's just completely alone she's you know she's vulnerable what are you going to do with them She's vulnerable because she's come out of a different area to, you know, Barking and Dagnum. She doesn't know the area at all. How the only thing we can do is, you know, um, signpost them to the organisations that are within Barking and Dagnum that might be able to help them. Which obviously again are so oversubscribed. Very, because there were no spaces for them to either, you know, um, at the time let's just talk during lockdown there was nothing for them to you know to be rehoused or so it was always street link that's the only thing that i knew like you know just forward them to street link but again everyone has their own policies their own you know ways of uh, rehousing them whatever the case was but we could only we could only advise right we can only signpost them that this is what you're going to do but now today as i said you know if i was to um prepare for the second uh, you know wave it's going to be, we, we are probably better rehearsed as such, that we would know mm. exactly what to do because now, you know, we've got the food network. We know, okay, this is where you can get food. This is where, you know, this is the person you can talk to at the council or Homes and Money Hub. Is it, so that nobody is left um, unnoticed as such. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's and important for us. That nobody feels forgotten. And that's what's important, yeah. isn't it? That, that yeah. we don't leave people behind. Um I guess for me, I just, it's tough, but I, I genuinely hope that this does have a lasting impact on, and I don't mean on the people that are sort of having that negative impact, but I hope that it has made people realise this idea of what we need. And actually we're only, you know, we are stronger when we take care of each other. Um, you know, and it's that thing of, I think a lot of people take for granted how easy and how close a lot of us are without realising to end like being in that sort of situation where we need that support. Very true, because, you know, we take everything for granted, right? Let's just look at, you know, from um, transportation mode, right? We all think mm. that, you know, if you've got a car, we'll just get in the car, we'll just go, you know, 10, probably two streets away. And at the time, you don't realise, right, that what is it that you really necessarily need? And this is what we saw when we had the donations coming in from people who had extra surplus in their houses because, you know, everyone had hoarded, right? Yeah. And and then suddenly they realised that, hang on, there's people who really, really need, and that's what we were getting as well as part of donations. Um, and it's opened their eyes, you know, it's opened everyone's eyes that we can live on our basics, whatever we have at home. We can yeah. survive. We can use the public. Okay, it might not be possible right now because, you know, of the situation hasn't really gotten any better. Yeah. But there are things that we can live without. And obviously, I always say, listen, we've got to think about Mother Nature, you know, whatever it provides us. We've got to think about our Earth as well, that we've got to make our surroundings better. 
um, in how we live uh, in our surroundings. And, and that's most important to us. Um, even as Hamdam is important to us because, you know, what, whatever we do, we, we have always uh, thought which is the best way of, of uh, you know, either, whether it's the service or whatever we are giving out. What is the best thing that you could do uh, for an individual and also learn that lesson for ourselves? I think that I think that sounds like a brilliant way for us all to start thinking. Um, yeah. And I only hope that, you know, as time moves forward, I hope this has a lasting impact in making people think about, you know, what we need to value. And is it really, you know, ourselves and money and kind of or is it actually about being able to look at a society that we live in and say we take care of each other well you know there's just a little example i'm going to give you about food for example yeah so food when when we buy something and we say there's a best before date so when you see a best before date and the best before date is today you will not eat it because you know that you can go out and buy another loaf of bread, for example. So if it said, you know, best before date is 31st, yeah? Mm -hmm. What would you do? You would probably not eat it, right? Because it's pre-packed and you'd say, oh, no, 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 it's gone off. I'm not going to eat it. But again, because it's, it's also teaching, you know, it's also teaching yourself, if that bread was not packed, what would you do? You would actually eat it till it rots, right? So till it... Cool, yeah. I must admit, the, like, um, my nan has very much brought me up like that. So my nan's um, relationship with uh, used before dates and best by dates, we're very much a, you can see it, you can smell it, you'll know what's Exactly, sort of... what's on and what's off, right? So, you know, yeah. you, you do. And this is what we do. We actually teach uh, our um, service users that what is important because, you know, everyone talks to, we've all done our courses, we're all aware but if you have a, an apple or a banana and until it looks rotten, you're, you're not going to stop eating it, are you? So this this is a little education, especially for the young ones, because we find like, you know, um, the age group for, in our food bank is from zero to 80. Yeah. And plus. Yeah. Um, and, and in between, you find that, you know, because their mothers who can't cook or probably won't cook because they don't know how to cook, right? They only mm -hmm. have lived on beans on toast. So, you know, these are the examples we have where a young lady came in and she goes, I can't take mushrooms because I don't know how to cook them. I can only do baked beans and toast. So that was her, um, you know, just that's all she's feeding her children until we started talking to her, hang on, you know, this is what you can do. These are the simple mm -hmm. things that you can cook. And so we teach them because it's all about educating each other, helping each other out. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It is about helping each other out. And um, yeah, I've just going to say, I, like, firstly, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, and I just, I'm so glad that we have done that because I think it's a really, really important conversation. And I think it's important that we don't just kind of go, oh, food banks, they're really important. And then just let it move past that. Like, we need to be thinking about what can we do as individuals? And that's, you know, and that's different for different people, but I feel like it's such an amazing representation of what happens when we take care of each other and just not in a, you know, but I just feel like to you and your team and to everyone else who was like providing those kind of services, like just a massive thank you, to be honest. This is so vital. Thank you very much. I mean, you know, just, just to close off is just that there is always a stigma 
yeah so within the mm. asian community people will not go out because they don't want to go out they feel they're begging uh, you know and i'm not I'm, because i'm talking about asian communities because that's what i've seen that people don't come out or there are also others you know the ladies or gents you know people out there who have this self respect and think that we are going out and we have to kind of you know uh, we are treated as beggars or you know because they think that we you know we are less fortunate and we will be treated uh, differently that's not the yeah. case because if that is the case in our food bank what we do is we we provide that tender loving care to them so much that they feel part of our family and that's so important to you know make people feel wanted you know to have that little give them that respect and dignity because remember we situations could change matty we could be in that yeah. situation one day we just don't know what's around the corner and that's what i say you know that yes there's the stigma people don't like coming to food banks but if we made the food bank like you know how we have even though we say we are a food bank but you know it's there just to help you and it could be just a youngster guy who's just lost his job yesterday we're still giving food because it's only food we're giving him right yeah and food is so important yeah if if you don't eat what happens to you and and that's what it is that you know to give them the food to give them the nourishment that they need to be stronger to move ahead in their life if you would like more information about humdum including how to get involved and to donate you can search humdum uk on all social networks services are every saturday from 1 p.m with volunteer access from 12 p.m. It was an amazing opportunity to speak and I really feel like as a community we should be getting behind this as much as possible. Oh my word. I know. She's amazing. Yeah, she really is. Um and i could have honestly we could have spoken for hours and hours we really could have um and i felt a lot having that conversation and afterwards it, you know i felt sort of really emotional and really amazed by the it's brilliant that there are people doing that work but also really angry that there's such a need for that oh absolutely i mean i got i got tears in my eyes now mate i can't i can't like you just listening to listening to Nagat not just explain the work she's doing but the context within which the work has got to be done it's just so overwhelming yeah i mean i literally you know i'm quite an anxious person and i'm sometimes can be quite indecisive and i was like i can't imagine what it was like to have to try and make all those decisions when so many people were relying on you under the you know what the situation was i just think it's phenomenal and to everyone who was involved in you know mm. that and also you know in other places as well and other sort of whoever was you know those frontline people just phenomenal yeah i mean i i think it takes a special sort of person to see a tragedy or a huge thing unfolding and run towards it not away from it oh that's a very good way of describing it i like that thanks very much yeah no but you know what i mean i, I just think yeah imagine seeing all that happening and knowing how complex and how difficult and overwhelming it's all going to be and your first instinct is to roll your sleeves up and go right let's crack on yeah definitely um and i think obviously cuz nagat was telling me it was actually her mum who started the organisation and started it up mm-hmm. and got it going um 
and so I think for them it was just in them that, that it wasn't even a choice really although it was that I think it's just it was such an instinctive thing that how do we make sure we can look after and support these people yeah it's just part of who they are kind of thing yeah just I think we're just very lucky to to have those people and I um I think it just reminds you that there is so much we need to change. And I know it's easy to say that, but I do hope, and we've said this before, but if any positives can come out of this, it should be that people remember that we're nothing without each other. And, you know, we I think we did need a reminder of that, and I think we still do, and I hope, that we realise it soon, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it, completely. And again, you know, similar to conversations that happened on the podcast in previous weeks and, you know, what Nanjan said last week and Glenn the week before, local has become so crucial now. Just the idea of keeping an eye on your neighbours and just what it means to be of a place is now so important. Yeah. And just looking out for each other, I think it is really important. But also, you know, I'm let's get like massive, just amazing, well done and celebration of all those brilliant people, you know, because it is, oh, yeah. you know, there's a real pride in that to know mm. that that happened and to think about the support and, you know, just bit of relief that you've offered those people is fantastic. Yeah, huge. And and I think the the, the thing that was coming up for me when Agat was speaking was how committed she was to ensuring people retain their dignity 100 percent. i think there's it's so good to see that it's like people accessing support without have like being made to almost like beg and to jump through oh, loads of and perform yeah yeah and i really i i've got a bit of a thing about people that post on on social media pictures of themselves giving stuff to homeless people like you can do that without the camera in my opinion yeah, there's no need for it. There's absolutely yeah. no need for it. And um yeah, I just even down to the gap was saying about um they ask as few questions as possible because that will be, for a lot of people that will stop them accessing services. Yeah. Um and also obviously there's amazing stuff just to sort of make it what obviously what's been in the news a lot. Oh, you know, I'm terrible with footballers. What is the amazing footballer who's just set up the task force around um hunger? Oh, Marcus Rashford. Yeah. Um, and that was in the news a lot the last couple of days. So to be seeing that after having that mm. conversation with Nagat was really like, okay, I'm glad this is happening. Um, and just also, again, seems like an amazing person using their profile um, and actually making real a real difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's because not lip it, service. It's, it's really none. meaningful change happening as a result of standing up for what you think is right. Yeah, and I think it's a reminder that those people with a profile, if they want to, they can make an impact. Most definitely. Mm. Most and definitely. I, I just I feel honestly, I I've, I've not felt like this after one of these conversations, Matty, but I feel absolutely blown away by Nagat. Yeah, I felt exactly the same. Um I did feel exactly the same. And I'm actually hoping to um because we were asking about what's valuable. And the gap was like time is most valuable, um, mm. and that is something we've learned during this. Is that yes. what it can, you know? Time, and I'm really hoping that to find um, a Saturday where I can go down and sort of just. And I'm not saying that in terms of me being like, "Well, aren't I brilliant?" I'm saying it <laughs> because 
as I said, the details we've given them out, and please yeah. do get in touch if you want to, you know, find out how you mm-hmm. can support and get involved. So yeah, just a brilliant person and an amazing person to speak to. And and by the way, mm. I found it afterwards while we were having that conversation, Nagat was parked up in her car because she'd been out collecting um, donations, oh. and I was just like, and that was on Bank Holiday Monday, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, she's, we're lucky to have her embarking and dagging aren't we? We really are. Um, yeah, so a brilliant concept. I think lots to think about, and I think it yeah. will stay with both of us and I'm sure other people, mm-hmm. um, and maybe it will help us start thinking a bit more about what we can do. Yeah, I hope so. And, yeah, it's brilliant. We, we will share all of the details to Humdum, the, the food bank that Nagat's, Nagat runs, but also that, you know, there are others embarking in Dagnum as well. And we'll share all the details. So if, they, if you've got some free time or, you know, you, you, you're you moved by what Nagat's doing and her call to action, then, yeah, please, please do get involved. Yeah. Well, well we I, before we go, then, have you got any plans for the coming week? As we always chat about this. Have I got any plans for the coming week? Seeing some friends and stuff, like in a mm-hmm. safe way. Um, I've just got back into exercising a bit more again. So yes. some of that. Um, yeah. That's, nothing, you know, nothing wild. Just sort of. Ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask <laughs> me. Have you got anything coming up, Liza? Well, Matty. <laughs> yes, I have. I have. It's actually my birthday on Monday. No. <laughs> have I not mentioned it? No, all. I haven't realised. I, did, I didn't yes. even know you had a birthday. I thought you just didn't have one. No, no. As, as timeless and ageless as I am, I do actually have a birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm what gonna are you be doing? Come on. Again. Um, I'm doing, well, I'm going out for a socially distanced afternoon tea because I'm so bougie like that. Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah, that's that's pro- that's probably the main bit. And then you know all these new things that are popping up in 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 lockdown and and that kind of thing. There's um an actor from a company coming to do a murder mystery on in my front garden. Wow, that's that's a real thing. That's a real thing. <laughs> that yeah, is mine... and I'm really sad that I can't be there to witness it. Um... <laughs> a mate of mine's like trying it out as a new idea, so I thought, yeah, we'll we'll be one of the guinea pigs for that. So we're having a. Uh, Socially distanced on the doorstep murder mystery evening. I've got no idea how that's going to roll. I'll tell you next week, mind. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. It sounds, yeah, I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. All right, then, love. We'll have a good week. <laughs> Thanks very much, love. And you, you going away, did you say, on the weekend? I'm just, yeah, I'm going to see some friends and stuff. Oh, so, lovely. should be nice. Um, and enjoy your 27th. <laughs> Thanks very much. 27 again. Oh, who'd have thought it? So that's it for this episode of Back to Ours. Hope you enjoyed the chat. And please remember, there's a lot of support out there in Barking and Dagnum. You know when something doesn't feel right. So let's speak out and keep each other safe. If someone's life is in danger, call 999 immediately. Or if you're worried about a child's safety, you can call 0208 227 3811. If it's an adult safety you're concerned about, you can call 0208 227 2915. And if you need support around domestic abuse, you can call 0300 456 0170.
Look after yourself and we'll talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.